Monday, May 13th. LA Podcast. Scott Frazier, Alyssa Walker, Hayes Davenport. This is sort of the cool down period from our live show at UCLA on Thursday. That was so fun. Which was a blast. It yeah. was great. It, uh, we got great questions, something I was really worried about seconds before the show. <laughs> I noticed that no one was filling oh, out yeah, their little You didn't plant any? That's what I wondered, if no. you planted any questions. I did start wandering around and be like, you know, those note cards are for you guys. Know, you can write <laughs> questions on those. Uh, but they were so good. Everyone was really smart. We talked about a lot of Westwood specific stuff, which I loved. Right. It made us feel like we should do a council district tour yeah. and hit all of them one by one. And this was kind of a hit. All if you 15. Think about it. Huge, yes, it did. We have scorched <laughs> earth. We cannot go back. CD5. <laughs> CD5. Crossed off the list. Although someone asked a question from the audience and said that they wanted to double the number of council districts. Oh, yeah. That actually was a good double plus one, double which plus was one. very so interesting. It's an odd number. Yeah. That's right. So there'd be 31 yeah. instead of 15, which would just extend our, our tour. <laughs> LA stories. What do you got? Mine's a total bummer. Do you want me to go first? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So we're back down to earth. I know. <laughs> well, we're recording this on Mother's Day, which Happy uh, Mother's Day, thank Alyssa. you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. And yeah, all mom, my mom too. I guess if you don't say it to your mom, they're definitely listening. So you should say that. Happy Scott. Mother's Day, okay. Alyssa and my mom. <laughs> um, I am going to get on my mom's soapbox because it's Mother's Day. And I think that's what the holiday is about. Um, we have had some pretty horrible traffic deaths. Well, we always do. It's yeah. not a new thing. But um, there's been some pretty serious ones. And I wanted to think about this one particular family where both daughters have died from their injuries now. And this mother who is having a Mother's Day today, um, who doesn't have her two young children who were walking to school, Amy and Marlene Lorenzo, were hit by a big rig in downtown, south of downtown, um, south of LA, south of downtown, um, on April 5th, um, one daughter died right away of her injuries and the other one died a few weeks later. And witnesses at the scene said that the truck driver did not even see them because he was looking down at something, who knows what, and they had to flag him down and tell him that they had hit these two girls. And yet, and the girls were walking in a crosswalk to school in the morning, and yet no charges have been filed and no, the driver who cooperated, it's always the story. Oh, the, the driver cooperated. Um, nothing has happened to this person. Um, and none, no streets have been changed. Right. There's been no, no response. No, no response. I haven't heard the, the level of outrage that needs to be directed to this. And just as comparison, in New York City last week, a three-year-old boy riding a little you know scooter like my kids ride all the time all over the city um, was hit by a truck, a smaller truck in a crosswalk. Immediately, the driver was cited, taken into custody mm -hmm. and, you know, charged. So what is wrong with our city? Other cities also in the last week, New York, D.C. and San Francisco all introduced sweeping Vision mm -hmm. Zero um, implementation uh, bills, which these make a huge difference. It's not just saying we're going to get to zero traffic deaths. It's saying every time we repair a street, we're putting in curb extensions, we're putting in bike lanes, we're putting in safe crossing, we're making sure that people are going to be responsible for making these changes to our streets and we still have nothing. Yeah. What is wrong with our city that we can't even take care of the kids that are getting around our city today? And why are we so behind now? We're way behind. Yeah. We're not just behind. We're way behind. 
getting off mom's soapbox now. Well, this happened in the same, or this is the same week that you talk about how policing happens in terms of like traffic policing. Alex Villanueva announced that he is bringing back the unit, the sheriff's department unit that was accused of racially profiling hundreds of Latin American drivers okay. uh, on the, on the five. Right. Did you hear that he's bringing no, it back? We've talked, we talked about that unit. Doesn't yep. surprise me. That I think was like federally investigated at some point for pulling over basically every Latino driver that they saw. Alex Villanueva is bringing it back. So we have this sort of missing middle where you can be aggressively policed, in, for doing nothing until you run somebody over. Right. And then you m- still might not get charged. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, as soon as you do that, you're and like weirdly more, almost safer. Right. Once you kill somebody, you're less likely to be charged. And if more right. of these street improvements and safety improvements were going in, people would not be able to speed because right. they would have infrastructure that shows that other people are the priority and not just speeding cars through our cities. Mm-hmm. So you would avoid a lot of the enforcement issues, I would argue. Did you say that there was like an LAPD fundraiser? That was another thing that I didn't know if this was like something that is often done, but uh, it was actually tragically days before the second sister died. You know, she had been in just a very, very bad state. Um, But the LAPD held a fundraiser for the daughters, for the families. There was a GoFundMe and then it ended. You know, they can you can only do a GoFundMe for a certain amount of days. So that when that ended, the LAPD had a, a fundraiser. But I just thought that was an incredible disconnect. I mean, the, the justice needed for this family, for all families, especially families in South LA, where these kids are walking to school and sharing the streets with our shipping industry, basically, you know, these huge trucks. I looked at like these streets. I actually rode a bike around where it happened when I was in, um, when I was headed down somewhere in on the expo line the other day and I got off and rode around and every other business is a big rig, Mm -hmm. you know, truck coming out of these driveways. And the way that our trucks are designed is a known problem in European countries and other places like Japan and all all these other cities have redesigned their way that their trucks look in a way that can stop people from being, you know, driven over. Basically it can clear people out of the way. When you're saying like the driver hit, two human beings and would have been completely unaware of that fact. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a design problem in in the vehicle. Right. And also the way that drivers can sit a little bit higher over the cab and there's more windows, like all these things can be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are not saying that that needs to be a requirement for, for trucks that share our streets with us. That's another huge issue. Also, same problem for SUVs, a problem that was nobly demonstrated by James Butts, the mayor of Inglewood, not that far from this location, right? That was on exposition, where he he, probably should have killed multiple people. It's amazing that nobody died in that that crash. Uh, The the fundraiser thing is kind of consistent to me with how these issues are resolved. We talked about it before. There's often very little legal uh, recompense for anybody. You just get paid off, right. whether you right. settle with the city for right. millions of dollars or whether LAPD is raising money for you. They just throw money at it and there's no disincentive for it to not happen again. Everyone is in exactly as much danger as they were before. That's right. I have a somewhat more lighthearted LA story All that right, is really just me. This is really just reading the first couple paragraphs of an LA Times article from this morning. Front page article above the fold, pot smuggling arrests soar 166% at LAX. This is by Joe Cerna. Uh, I just want to read the first couple of paragraphs. Michael Vachell had already drawn the attention of an airline worker and two passengers at Los Angeles International Airport by the time he was confronted by police. 
Waiting to board his Philadelphia-bound flight with his dog, Odie, Vachel had sparked concern when he sidled up to another passenger and asked if she wanted to join his drug smuggling ring, (laughs) (laughs) authorities say. Although Vachel told LAX police it was just a misunderstanding, officers demanded to see his checked baggage. Inside, they found nearly 70 pounds of vacuum-sealed marijuana bundled into packages (laughs) labeled T-shirts, cold weather, and sexy pants. Oh, my God. Those are the greatest weed strain names I can. <laughs> oh, I thought they were just to throw off the uh, TSA. They, they both work. <laughs> That's it. His dog's name is Odie. His dog's name is Odie. He sat down and immediately, sorry, while he was waiting to board. Yeah. He didn't, hadn't even sat down yet. Approached a passenger and asked if she wanted to join his drug smuggling rig. Like latter day. Said it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> latter day Garfield plot line is really just... <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, That's my, how Garfield should have tried to smuggle Nermal <laughs> to, to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my story is also, um, I don't know, a frivolous bit of uh, star fuckery. I went, <laughs> I, was, uh, I went shopping yesterday and um, I, I was just like, you know, I was, I was in the store, like trying on all these clothes and stuff. All of the people who worked there were like very obviously like distracted by something I was like I don't know what's what's happening I went and I was like checking out uh behind this guy and like all of the people that work there were like gathering next to the register and I'm like just trying to uh I'm I'm, like I'm shopping I'm totally shut down I'm like how how quickly can I pay and get out of here so when when, uh the person in front of me leaves they all like start talking like oh my god I can't believe how short he is blah blah blah. like who is who is this who who was that uh, and they were like, that was Usher. I was like, whoa. I was like, that was Usher. <laughs> he had like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The thing that threw me off the most was he had like super long hair. He was very, wow. he was very short. He did not say a word the entire time. Like people were like, bye. Like as he left the store and he just kind of like threw up his deuces, not a word. It was very, uh, very suave. I was like, okay, I guess that was what that was. That's a big one. I wouldn't even expect this, that he would go out and buy his own clothes. Alone. Yeah. Just just yeah. casually dropping a few grand what store on a saturday american rag hmm. good la stories uh this was another uh, front page story today in the la times something that, that, that kind of surprised me this is by laura nelson who i saw last night at an la times food bowl event friend of the show laura nelson la times transportation reporter She's writing about the LA, uh, the, the metro's regional connector this is a project that i don't think we've talked about too much on the show it's kind of the most immediate of Metro's big uh, subway projects. Who wants to talk about what the regional connector is? I've been in the regional connector. What the heck? Yeah. Well, then you guys. I got about to it. walk into the tunnel. What does it do? It knits together. That's a great way to describe it. Hey, that was Lara's um, uh, language. That yeah, I plagiarized. It's a, it's a huge. Uh, it's a big, basically a big tunnel that goes near all the other big tunnels downtown and it will make you able to transfer from one train to another at several points throughout downtown. Um, so you can go from the blue expo, gold, red, purple. Am I missing anything? Um, I think you got them all. Kind of interchangeably. Uh, and it starts in little Tokyo and ends at basically seventh and Metro. And the best view of it is if you go to Disney hall mm-hmm. and go to like the little secret garden behind, behind Disney OTM. hall. Yeah. yeah. You can look down into the pit and it's pretty cool. Yeah. So the regional connector is like two miles long. It's a light rail, uh, tunnel and it's going to basically right now we have, um, three, light rail lines, gold, blue, and expo that go into downtown. The gold line is a big C shape that goes through Union Station, 
uh, but doesn't ever actually go further into downtown than that. So the regional connector is basically going to turn uh, those three separate light rail lines into two, one from like Pasadena, the Pasadena Gold Line down to Long Beach, and the other from the east side Gold Line out to Santa Monica. So it'll just go straight from the financial district over to uh, Little Tokyo, like Alyssa said. And initially it was supposed to be done in 2020. Now, uh, then it was pushed uh, a year to December 2021. This always happens. Now, uh, and she announces in the story, it is being pushed again. But the reason is kind of an interesting one, which is there is a labor shortage in in construction in Los Angeles. This is something I I remember reading articles about last year that this was going to happen. Not as many people entering the trades in Southern California. And the reason why a lot of people say is nobody can afford to live here. Uh, construction is one of, is one of the highest paid of like the trades you make yep. like on average, I think like 22 to 25 bucks an hour, but that's not a salary that for the most part that can allow you to actually live in Los Angeles. If you're going into construction, a lot of those people are emigrating, whether it's to as somewhere as close as Riverside County or out to the Sunbelt or to Texas or, 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 or places like that. So my question is, are we in a situation now where there's this kind of feedback loop where the housing crisis leads to a labor shortage, which is making construction projects, including housing construction projects, more expensive, which is exacerbating the housing crisis, which is exacerbating the labor shortage. Whoa. Right. Wow. This is actually a national problem. It's not just an LA thing. It's like, um, especially construction and transportation with, within that, um, is seeing a huge, is taking a huge hit across the country as far as the labor shortage and people not wanting to join this industry. So there's been a lot of efforts from like trade unions to get schools to step up with their training or these kind of, um, uh, there's been a big effort to get schools to offer more like high tech jobs, mm-hmm. like a best part of these construction industry. And then there's a lot of these vocational schools that are offer, offering like specialty training in like exactly this, like major infrastructure building projects. But this is something that's happening pretty much everywhere. And I can't believe that they finally are now just admitting it's probably been affecting a lot of these projects all along. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're admitting it is interesting. So it's not just a housing issue. It's that this is not a trendy field for people I don't know graduating if it's just high school or trendy, like getting into high but school. it's like you said, it's um it's it requires specific knowledge in, in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And um I don't know how I think if you were coming out of school and I I you know, we've done stories on this at curbed of like how how to fix it, but if you're coming out of school, um there's a lot of opportunities, there's a lot of money being thrown at different places to train people for jobs. And I just don't know if this is all you see is like high tech, right? It's mm-hmm. like you have to kind of bridge like the high tech and construction type job and as one maybe. There, so there are a couple of different aspects of uh, of what we're currently seeing. I, th- I think, um, Hayes, you're, you're right. This is something that people have seen coming for a long time. Um, uh, Laura Nelson has actually written articles previously that have included concerns, uh, whether regarding uh, the Olympics or the the mayor's uh, 28 by 28 infrastructure plan to build several of the Measure M projects. Uh, I would say actually more like 70% of the Measure M projects by the time the Olympics are supposed to take place. Um, that those articles already did contain some notion of this could put additional pressure on the costs of these types of projects. We're putting a strain on the available labor. This is something that has been a concern since the time that Measure M was passed, basically. 
Um, now, there are a couple of different parts to that. There is, as you guys have been saying, the, um, the actual inflow of people into the construction trades, um, which has been insufficient to keep up with the increasing demand for that kind of labor. Mm -hmm. But there's also um, the, I think, the part that is even more closely related to the housing shortage uh, here in LA and in California um, on a larger scale is that the specific things that the contractors are calling out in this article as having shortage with are actually more senior positions. They're not the entry level construction workers. It's management. It's like journeymen, uh, electricians and uh, carpenters and things like that. These are people who have incomes that are considerably above the median income in L.A. Uh, and yet. I think that we are definitely seeing that they are struggling to maintain a reasonable standard of living in LA and are seeking work elsewhere. One of the things that's interesting about uh, the, the construction industry, and this is something that um, I heard from some people when I was talking about this um, online earlier today, was that um, the actual wages for construction industry work, uh, whether they're, especially if they're union work, um, they don't differ that much here as opposed to in other places mm -hmm. in California. So it's very sensitive as a job market to um, to the cost of living. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to put yourself in a situation where you're working in L.A. and living maybe three or four hours away if you could live that far away and also just work there. You'd and probably you, be making about the same income. Are there the same rules? I know with like JJJ, a the ballot measure where it puts some very specific qualifications when it come, came to hiring local labor and paying, you know, certain certain wages. So does Metro have the same kind of requirements? Like, do they have to hire within a certain geographic area? And uh, I'm pretty sure that Metro does have some constraints on where they hire from. The primary one, though, is is the same that's in uh, JJJ, the prevailing, prevailing wage. Prevailing wage, yeah. Um, so that is that is pretty much where they're at. I think one of the things that we're also seeing is that um, with the large number of uh, so-called mega developments in downtown L.A., um, so you have basically a competition between Metro, which is paying contractors mm -hmm. prevailing wages mm -hmm. and um, Oceanwide, a, a company like Ocean. Well, <laughs> yeah. maybe Oceanwide is not a good example. <laughs> The worst um, example, but, perhaps. But. Uh, but maybe like Greenland, yeah. who, who just built the, the Metropolis complex or is still in the process of finishing that up, who is sinking, you know, over a billion dollars into that and can afford to spend a lot more uh, and incentivize to, uh, their workers to complete things on a faster schedule that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the reason, right, that Metro is opening this boarding school to yeah. train, you know, mm -hmm. high, starting in high school age, um, the next generation of transit builders, although that won't help with the seniority um, issue that Not you were talking about for a while. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, do you guys think 28 by 28 is realistic? I'm, I'm very, I, this article, that was the first thing I thought about today because the regional connector is a measure R project. It's not even a measure M project. It's something that we've been working on for a long time um, and is theoretically not in danger of being uh, incomplete by right. 2028. But we have all of these other projects that have not even yet begun If the regional work. connector is not going to be done until 2021, the regional connector... 2022 right, now. Yes, now 2022. And that is basically number one, or it's the, the yeah. first three right. of, the, of the 28 by 28. So let's uh, let's do this. You Scott set an over under for how many out of twenty eight? Uh, like, what do you think the <laughs> like what do you think the over under is? Uh, well, I would say 
15? Sounds 15 like, yeah. out of 28 is the over-under? I might take the over that's on that. That's generous, I feel You think like. that's generous? It's going to be under 15? Well, think about it. Some we're already... We're, how, how much progress have we have even gotten in a year since they announced 28 by 28? I mean... There's projects that like we Some of them still are can't easier than I mean like they're not true. all the Sepulveda Pass tunnel. Some of them That's are true. like okay, bus well, rapid transit. We could go through the whole list. But if we can't even have a dedicated bus lane project for like five years, mm-hmm. how are we gonna build tunnels? <laughs> that was a that was a Green New Deal joke, guys. Come on. Do you want to announce uh, the the branding of the, the the summer lanes project? Yeah, this should be a twenty eight by twenty eight project. Yes, <laughs> that could be a that could be a twenty eight by May twenty eighth project <laughs> that I would like to get done. <laughs> what is it you you uh, you wrote about it this this week? Oh right? yeah, well, just based on something we talked about on the show about why can't we just protect our bike lanes temporarily with using like concrete construction barriers that we, you know, drag around and use to supposedly fix streets in other, for other reasons Mm -hmm. in parts of the city. So I, I just wrote a story for Curbed about, um, based on everything that's happened and all with, uh, safety issues and traffic deaths and, and with all these mayors stepping up to say they have these ambitious climate goals now, put your money where your mouth is. It's not even that much money and protect your bike lanes for the summer and then show, give everybody a safe place to ride. And then you'll start to see the constituency building for people who actually feel safe enough to get out there. And after some back and forth, after I published the story, I think everyone agrees that we need to do some kind of pilot project, the length of sunset boulevards, bike lanes Mm -hmm. because the Dodger express already runs in that dedicated bus lane right there. So that's, a number one, a bus lane mm-hmm. project we can look at for the summer and then protect the bike lanes all the way to where the bike lane and just keep going. Maybe just keep going and let people ride up and down sunset feeling safe for I, once. I have a suggestion. They could take those concrete barriers uh, that are close to Mohawk Bend between kind of Silver <laughs> yeah. Lake and Echo Park yes. and that are currently in the bike lane yeah, right. and just yeah. move them over. There's so many. So they are protecting There's so the many bike construction lane. projects or cones in the way, especially through like the cut. Um, between Echo Park and, and Silver Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just do it for summer and no one will be ha- sad. Everyone will be happy. Uh, let's stay on the housing, the housing crisis. Uh, when we were at UCLA, we talked a little bit about a guy named Zev Yaroslavsky, who I don't think we have mentioned on the show up to this point. He was in... Uh, like there was some speculation that he was actually in the building when we were talking about him because he has an office in at UCLA on the sixth floor. Who is Zev Yaroslavsky? He's one of the most influential politicians in LA history for, for sure. sure. Definitely. Well, there's one you might know him as, which I think most people probably mm-hmm. know, which mm-hmm. is the the great subway stoppage projects of. <laughs> 1990, <laughs> yeah. 1998. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to guess that I was going to say the 90s um, where there was a, an explosion. We'll start there, I guess. Um, a methane explosion near um, near Wilshire, near, near where the Purple Line is being built right now. So like a Wilshire. Side of the Lucas Fairfax. Museum, I think. The Lucas Museum? Yes, the Lucas Museum of Motion Picture Arts. That's not the Lucas Museum. Oh, That's an Escobar. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yes, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Academy Museum. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's an Escobar. So there was an explosion near LACMA. Let's say there was an explosion um, of methane gas uh, 
apparently it was by a department store because there were like mannequin parts like <laughs> flown about, but every, everything was fine. There's no big deal. Um, but anyway, that caused some fear for especially uh, people who were worried that tunneling in LA was dangerous for a multitude of reasons. And some- It, it caused some fear because people made claims. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. People yeah. latched on to that fear and uh, some politicians use it to their advantage to stop the construction of what would have been- um, probably but, all the way to the sea by now if we hadn't have slowed down our progress of the on, purple line, <laughs> of the which purple, we are now, which was now just the purple getting, line. Yeah, yes, which 30 was years previously later. that. So um, uh, that w- he was one of those politicians that um, made this big anti-transit, anti-subway, anti-tirade. Yes. Let's not um, leave out great environmentalist Henry Waxman, who was the other <laughs> the other one who was representing that area at the so, time. And so that was just one thing. And what's funny about that is that he eventually came around and now is like very pro-transit and pro-subway and pro-building things underground, uh, which is interesting. But then there's the other part of uh, how our future has been um you know, how, how our, how our fate has been changed by, by a handful of people. And that's Proposition U, which is something we talked about at our Westwood show as well. Yeah. Proposition U basically had the effect. A lot, a lot of people remember Measure S from a couple of years ago, which was a ban on apartment construction through all of Los Angeles that failed at the ballot. Proposition U was a version of that that succeeded in the 80s that downzoned huge swaths of especially the West Side that Zev Yaroslavsky represented. Yeah. He was a, a a major figure in what you could call the zero growth movement. Yes, uh, I think the, um, the the main impact of Proposition U that I, I think would be most immediately recognizable to um, anybody who is familiar with the geography of LA is it really stopped the development of uh, new residential and commercial towers on the major arterials of the city, the major boulevards, which had been previously. Um, what the city was all about, building on Wilshire, building on uh, Santa Monica and Sunset, those types of things were basically put to a complete halt by Prop U. That's why we have strip malls, if you think about it, on yep. all of our major streets. Yeah. <laughs> God, and there was that article earlier this week in the LA Times, or it was a Steve Lopez column about uh, Carthay Circle, uh, where they talked about how they don't want, it was an anti-SB50, not an anti-SB50 article, but it quoted a bunch of people Kinda saying was. that they didn't want SB50 to pass, which would upzone some single family neighborhoods near transit and then job rich areas. And they were saying, just build it. Wilshire's right over there. Just build it on Wilshire, which you cannot really do anymore because of Proposition U. Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, they're the, the people basically who are long-term home, homeowners in mid-city have basically been saying it's inappropriate to build apartment buildings in uh, single-family neighborhoods. That's what Wilshire is for. That's what, you know, that's what these boulevards are for. But you can't do that anymore. So Zev Yaroslavsky was, I saw him in, in the news in a journal called The Planning Report, which is very actively anti-SB50. They've put up a Jill Stewart op-ed about it. They've put up this Zev Yaroslavsky. They're like full on. Yeah. So what this is, in fact, is a transcription. What they put in their journal uh, is a transcription of an NBC4 interview with Zev Yaroslavsky. Something I have not really seen before in journalism. Just typing out an interview that someone did on the nightly news and putting it in your posting it in your magazine. So got to get that content out there. So Zev talks to uh, Conan Nolan. Uh, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to do an installment of Cite Your Sources. It would be, wouldn't it? And I have great news, which is that the record company that made the original deal for the Cite Your Sources theme song has ordered a remastered. It has wants to re-record and remaster it. 
So if you could just, we have all the mics here. If you just want to sing, Scott, again, the site your sources <laughs> for the remastered version, and we'll put the music behind it. And I like the, the spirit of the original version that you didn't use any notes or anything like that. I think that's the way to, to approach this time as well. Okay. Uh, should I try and make it rhyme this time? Just <laughs> whatever too, we get. Whatever we get is what we get. <laughs> okay. Ready? I'm ready. Yes. Am I ready? I'm ready. C is for the way you claim something. I is for the way it has that ring. <laughs> T is tell me truly where do you get this shit from? E is even more than making me mad. It just sounds dumb. <laughs> Cite your sources for me, please. Wow, it's that's really great. And a little that's vibrato really good. at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's really, the, really nice. The quavering. So let's get <laughs> <laughs> nervous vibrato. So let's get into this interview. Uh, the interviewer cites the, uh, the in the first question, the UCLA Quality of Life Index indicates that over half of L.A. County residents have considered or know someone within their family leaving the state of California as a result of the cost of living. Xavier Oslovsky, the cost of living and rent is a big problem. Has it gotten worse? And Zev says it has gotten worse every year. The cost of living is a category that people are least satisfied with in Los Angeles County. Uh, The cost of housing look like they're plateauing a bit. He says this is true in terms of sale prices for homes. At least the rate of decline has slowed. So I hope it declines. There is a lot of construction of housing going on in this city. Uh He says, let's just go back. He he wants housing prices to decline. Is that what he said? Yes. That is that. Is that what he wants? Does he really want? Is that what we want? Is that what his? Uh, is that, is what, that what his former constituents want? Yeah. Is that what? Is that what people want? I just want to throw, what was his, what was his that in there. there. Yeah. He says uh, the cost of housing look like they are plateauing a bit. The rate of decline has slowed, so I hope it declines. I'm not sure if he's saying he hopes the rate of decline declines. So maybe he means for like rents. Let's just take yes. it. Let's just say rents. Sure. Okay. I mean, I, I would say honestly, it's even it's even too soon to say that it's plateaued when yeah. we like talk about how much the, the, yeah. uh, the cost of living and the, especially the cost of housing has increased over the past 10 years. It's like a, a brief period of stagnation yeah. does not signal and that it things just are okay. happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. it just plateaued. Okay. <laughs> Nothing to see here. All right. That's a, that's a mini site I just did. Okay. Okay. Uh, he says, and he says there, uh, has, there's a lot of construction going on in the city. He says there's been a lot of state and local legislation to encourage more residential development and the bills are beginning to have an impact. I would, I would say cite, cite the sources for the, uh, a lot of housing being built because this is something that people frequently say we are in the middle of a housing boom. Well, let me stop it because he says later Los Angeles has exceeded its state imposed housing goals for the past several years. Just last year, the city of Los Angeles approved 27,000 new apartment units. That's the single biggest number of approved units since 1981. So the current bills are working. Okay. So this, and this is the problem too, is that we, we have, I think two things that are either, uh, either incorrect or just generally misleading uh, in, in their intent there, which is, um, first of all, we know that the uh, the state housing, uh, the 
what is it? Rena. Regional, yeah, the Reno, the re- regional housing needs assessment. Those targets are like criminally low. They're mm-hmm. they're ridiculously low. One of the ones that is most cited as an example is that Beverly Hills's Rena target for affordable apartments built in a year is three units. Three units. Yes. Three whole units. Which I believe they did not they meet. Didn't meet. It's true. <laughs> I mean, it's why even try at that point? Um, but yeah, no. So th- this is something where the the regional housing needs assessment has. Uh, um, uh, led to a lot more uh, basically inner city, uh, sorry, that is intercity uh, squabbling about who is getting um, apportioned too much or too little uh, new housing units. But the overall pie of the, the allocation is in fact extremely low. So a, a city like LA might say, we're doing a lot compared to uh, other cities or uh, one of the, the common uh, cities that makes this complaint is Redondo Beach mm-hmm. saying, we do so much compared to other South Bay cities. Um, but in fact, the numbers are, are just like comically low. And the way that you determine that is not by using the raw number of units built and as Zaviaroslavsky did to say that we're succeeding, uh, but to actually look at the rate of housing units built uh, basically per new resident. And yes. in that metric, we're not doing well at all every you everyone agrees that the requirements are way too low this was why scott wiener passed a bill that got a lot less attention than sba 27 last year this was sba 28 that requires basically for everyone to figure out a new way of setting these numbers like apportioning the numbers differently uh, but even though the numbers are too low 97 percent of california municipalities did not meet them right it's gotten to the point where gavin newsom is threatening to sue hermosa beach over not meeting their requirements. Yeah. So the idea that, I mean, like he uses LA city as an example that they built 27,000 apartment units is not enough to meet the deficit of affordable units that we have. Yep. Uh, but that's the one city that is even like coming close to actually meeting its goals in the, in, in the area. Yeah. And that's, that's also why it's, just ridiculous that uh, the LA Times editorial board, which came out this weekend with a sort of tepid endorsement of SB 50 and said that uh, state legislators should give cities one more chance to show that they're willing to meet uh, the the housing uh, requirements set by the state. It's kind of like like 97 percent of the cities are not doing so now. Right. What would another year change? Newsom actually sued Huntington Beach. I'm I know so you were sorry. confusing but, your beaches. I mean, you we got, should just sue them all. Let's just <laughs> let's sue anything with beach in your name. You're getting sued. Is what's going to happen? Uh, and also the fact that 27,000 is the biggest number of approved units. By the way, not built units since 1981 okay. is a disastrous yeah. sign. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, Okay, and so Conan Nolan says, now what about the cities that have not fulfilled their housing construction goals? For example, you've got the state suing Huntington Beach currently. Dev says, I'm not here to discuss Huntington Beach. I am from Los Angeles, and the problem with the Wiener Bill is that it treats every city the same. Okay, Which cite, is cite your also sources on that. not that is- true. <laughs> And maybe, well, this was a while ago. When was that? Maybe he didn't see the most recent amendments, right? This like was this- April 30th, so like two weeks ago. The amendments had come in by the one. The one where, okay, so we've talked about this on the show too, right? Where uh, there was always... What happens with these bills is they, you know, the people get together and merge certain things that are have similar goals or whatever. So we had a merge of SB 50 with SB 4, which had a great 
was very aptly named because um, mm-hmm. it will now essentially, I've, this is again, not a one size fits all solution, but make building fourplexes a lot easier across the state where only single family housing was previously allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but as part of that deal that was made with the SB4 team, with you know the, the merging of SB4 mm-hmm. and SB50 become the mega, mega bill to solve all the housing problems, there are a little bit different rules now um, for population counties with certain population. Yep. It is. It's basically yeah, counties, counties with different populations and uh, cities within those counties. Yes. So now we have SB 50 uh, post amendment uh, being the, the upzonings that are around rail and ferry, et cetera, those uh, allowing four and five story buildings basically within uh, a half mile or a quarter mile of those stops. If they provide uh, a certain service level throughout the day, um, those are applicable in counties that have greater than 600,000 people in them, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, and that applies to 13 or 14 counties in the state of California. And then the rest of those counties get an entirely different set of rules uh, where they might have a smaller set of upzonings or they might only have the um, the fourplex liberalization that you were talking about, Alyssa, where a, a fourplex could be built anywhere that anywhere single, in the state. Yeah, anywhere that a single family house currently is. Uh, it doesn't allow tearing down those buildings. It only allows basically reconfiguring the excess space that already exists into multiple different units for different numbers of families. Right. And it, there are even more uh, differences that are baked into this bill based on the location of the city. San Diego is getting different sets of rules near its coastline. Uh, there are hillside and fire protections. Saying yeah. that this treats every city in the state the same is a complete falsehood. And guess what? There are going to be way more carve-outs. There's going to be yeah. nothing but carve-outs. Uh, and this, this, is the, this is the thing is that forward. like you, the, the, from the time that these amendments came out, the line switched almost immediately from, uh, well, for most people, for most uh, people who are engaging with this in an honest way, it switched from it's uh, one size fits all to it's too complicated. Now, like it's yes. like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's either, uh, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But um, but it certainly is not one size yeah. fits Matt, all. Anymore. Scott, you're a famous uh, fourplex event. You live in a, in a <laughs> yes. fourplex and you've often talked about how you enjoy casting shadows on neighboring single family homes I do. and looking <laughs> out of your apartment into uh, single family homeowners bathrooms and their their yeah. backyards. Uh, what I always say is that nobody who lives beneath me has any expectation of privacy <laughs> <laughs> staring over their fence all the time. And I just wanted to note something that was pointed out by multiple people on Twitter, including people in this room. The LA Times ran uh, op-ed this week, yep. last week, Saturday or Friday, um, which also called this bill one size fits all. Yeah. And it was saying that that was like... In their endorsement. Yeah, in their endorsement. It in was like a, thin in suit. a let's build more, <laughs> let's build more housing and let's get past cars. But this one size fits all statewide approach is is should be a last resort. So that... Again, like repeating that one more time, uh, even though you're saying that this is what you want, means that you don't really want it. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what we're basically seeing is SB 50 and, and you know, what we've called the, the carve outs that it's building. What we're basically seeing is SB 50 turning into an actual statewide zoning structure, which is, I think, necessarily somewhat complicated. And I think that the fact that uh, the, the politicians involved are going about that in a serious way. 
uh, says good things about its chances for passage and also uh, means that they're, they're taking that seriously. I skipped ahead. This is the best part. So Conan Nolan talks about SB 50. He says the argument, he says uh, it's a bill that will allow for significantly increased developments such as Culver City's Ivy Station to be built near transit stations. This would allow four, five, six story apartment buildings. The argument of the state center behind this bill, Scott Weiner, is that California needs something drastic because we need three million units and we want them near transit. Zeb says, first of all, the city of Los Angeles, where I governed for 40 years and where I come from. So now we're mentioning that, not when we talk about the uh-huh. dire housing crisis that this city yeah. is. And now we're dropping that you govern the city for 40 years. Has transit oriented development proposals and mechanisms that they're implementing as we speak. The exposition light rail. I've never heard it referred to. <laughs> that way ever (laughs) the exposition light rail has a specific plan that encourages more development near stations that many cite your sources on that they exempted like what 90 percent of single family going to do the job alone yes yes uh the problem is when we talk about transit oriented development is that when people think of mass transit they think of subway and light rail lines this bill extends to basically every bus line in the la basin so it is okay (laughs) yes let's stop there (laughs) That uh, that is well. Again, actually, I feel like he might not have read the amendments. To be fair, the, if he the, was community stuff has been in there since yeah. the beginning, and, and, and there, there have been, been and high the, frequency, there have been high frequency, high quality yeah. bus lines from but the I'm beginning. But I'm just saying, that I just feel like he never. Went, okay, so yes, there. It, you your bus lines have to meet a certain head. have certain headways during peak hours slash you know all, all the way down to like weekend, all these different things. So um, it's not every bus, and the, it actually changed a little bit even through the amendments. They changed some of the requirements. So a few more bus lines won't meet that, uh, won't meet the SB 50 requirement. Am I good to get in that Yes. Right? yes. Uh, and I mean, we're getting, I think, perilously close to the, the point where you teed it's off the, on It's this. in the next <laughs> sentence that I spent three hours being furious about yesterday. I don't want to step on your toes. He says, to, so like, it is not it. just the Red Lion Station at Universal City. It is the bus stop <laughs> at Melrose Ave and Gardner Street. <laughs> so random. Very, like, why all, did he pick? thousands of bus stops <laughs> yeah, in the I'm, city. He's going I'm with, just wondering, like, why he picked that one exactly. <laughs> he says. He used to live in the neighborhood. Did he live that in there? I, that's the only sure. thing I can think of he's Did he not ever sure use where that other, bus stop absolutely is not. my question i, I know that for a fact because of what he yelled it he says that intersection is a very middle class area with no big job magnet around it i of course posted a picture of the zillow <laughs> prices uh at the around the Melrose gardner bus stop where every single house has an m right in the in, 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 in the price many houses uh going for over two million dollars yep. it is and also like it's melrose it's like the fancy part yeah. of melrose it's not it's not a middle class area for people to shop or do anything it's like it's well there is a cvs on the corner you, i'm just looking at it now so you might be like get some deals there and swinger swingers is really expensive what i want to say is 40 that's on beverly 40 years ago (laughs) before zev got into governing la uh fairfax district was a middle class like neighborhood right and now you know somebody cited that someone responded to what i was posting and said something like well those are middle class families that bought in and the home value appreciated and so i would like to congratulate everyone who lives around the melrose and gardner bus stop for vaulting their class and becoming upper class just by nature of their home values appreciating by millions of dollars we we are i mean we're living in a, a post zev area where he's taken middle-class Fairfax and turned it into extremely wealthy. Like your house is worth $3 million. I'm sorry. You're not middle-class. And just looking at, you know, looking up and down Melrose, I'm just, you know, 
traveling down on Street View, which I've been doing ever since he's posted that tweet. <laughs> you cannot find a building that's taller than two stories. I mean, as far as the eye can see. Right. On and there are, side. But there are apartments. <laughs> there are there are fourplexes there. Sure. I mean, that's one part of the city where I think there's a, a good a density when it comes to, you know, a lot of these fourplexes and eightplexes that are very beautiful yes. and that people like look at and say, wow, that actually is like a good example of density. But there's also tons of sing- single family homes and nothing taller is allowed to be built or even really changed. This is definitely a part of town where historic uh, storefront would be, you know, protected at all costs, even though it has been like a... Uh, it's like a vintage store that was like not, you know, not notable for like 50 years and now is vacant. Yeah. Um, so you're not allowed to turn all those fourplexes and eightplexes are old for the most part. You're not right. allowed yeah, to turn here. single family homes into those fourplexes and eightplexes. So there like is a decent, but you would be under SB 50. Yes. You could pack you could. You, like in that area, you'd have to keep everything basically the same size, but you could fit more people onto a lot of that's what you wanted to do, which is which contradicts what Zeb said. He says any single family home within a quarter mile of a bus stop would be rezoned for multifamily. OK, which we know is not true. I mean, and we, it is specifically not true around the Melrose and Gardner <laughs> bus stop. <laughs> I I was thinking the 10 sucks. Right. It's not a good bus mm-hmm. line, especially on weekends. I like I checked when the next bus was the next bus was coming in like 45 minutes yep. at the time that I was uh, researching this. And, and so that Melrose Gardner bus stop is actually exempt from the transit up zoning because it's not on a high quality bus line. Yep. The, the, like the slowness of it on the weekends, like exe- exempts it. Yes. However, it is a job rich area. It's there's tons of jobs around Melrose. Yeah. Uh, and it should be a job rich area. So it would be upzoned under under that right next to Standard. television city. Right. I yes. Mean. Yeah. You can you could walk. You could walk to work if you worked at the new television city development that they're trying to put. in. Yes. Uh, so Zeb says there there has to be a more intelligent way to do this, not with a meat axe. Also, something I've Ooh. never a phrase I've never <laughs> heard before. <laughs> But with a scalpel. Okay. Uh, I wonder, I don't know if, just to continue with this allegory, what we are dealing with is a uh, very fast growing gangrene. Yeah. And I think it might, I think the meat axe might be called for (laughs) (laughs) in this case. But he says it's an overreach. There's a middle ground that he is not interested in exploring uh, because he... (laughs) Because he is carrying water for an industry that serves to benefit. Uh, Conan Nolan says, can we at least agree that the housing crisis needs to be addressed? There is a generational issue where young people cannot afford property here. And Deb says, absolutely. Young people, people of middle and low incomes and renters. Those are who we call in a recent study, the struggling group. What does he want to do for them, though? I mean, what does he really think? Where does he think they could live? Because he he believes that we're being focused on the folks coming into the state to take high paying tech jobs, paying them one hundred fifty thousand or two hundred thousand dollars per year. Now, ironically, those people are the ones who can buy housing in the Melrose and Gardner area. Yes. Like those people are perfectly served by the situation as it stands now. It's people making less money than that that could rent apartments that were built on that size lot, four plexes and eight plexes, uh, especially with in larger developments that actually have afford uh, actually have affordability requirements. The thing is, 
you're allowed like it's okay to criticize like SB 50 has affordability requirements for large buildings that people say are not high enough. And that's a totally valid criticism. But even as it stands right now, that would allow that would lead to the construction of way more affordable units than would otherwise happen. Does that seem fair? That's what I believe. Yes. Okay. The interview is pretty long, but we cited, uh, oh, they say, Zev, what do you propose (laughs) to address the affordability crisis? Zev says, I can only speak for our region. More than half a century ago, Los Angeles articulated a long-term land use objective called the Centers Concept. The idea was to develop centers with high-density commercial and residential construction, as well as medium and lower-density areas. If you have centers, you need to have non-centers. Okay. Not, well, yeah, go ahead. There's nothing really to cite there, except for the fact that... So the, the Centers Concept that he's talking about is something that was like directly imperiled by Prop U, which was as a Yaroslavsky production. Um, like basically the, this notion that we should have, uh, places where we are like basically smaller versions of downtowns. We have downtown LA, we have Beverly Hills, Century City, El Segundo. There are like 30 some odd of these centers that are scattered throughout LA County, uh, and even Orange County, I think. Um, and yeah, like you need to have some form of, uh, like corridor development, preferably extending beyond just that street. Otherwise, what you're talking about is autopia, and that doesn't work in a region of 20 million people. We should move on. I think these sources are adequately cited for today. <laughs> we have a couple of endorsements uh, that we need to do. Someone at the at the live show tried to get us to make an endorsement uh, in the CD12 election on the spot, yep. uh, and we were too scared, but we are going to do it now. <laughs> Because the election is coming up. It's on June 4th. And that is the primary election. So if somebody gets 50% or more of the vote, then they will uh, automatically win. Otherwise, there will be a runoff later in the summer. Yes. So let's let's get into it. Is anyone ready to pull the trigger on this? We should. Well, well let's set the stage. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is to a, recap. Yeah. This is, go ahead, Alyssa. We've got a hole in the council. Mm-hmm. A great disturbance in the council. <laughs> you calling, calling Greg Smith a hole? And they, instead <laughs> of, uh, so Mitch Englander left the council to pursue his dreams mm-hmm. and who can fault his him. His Olympic dreams. And who can fault him. And so instead of letting, instead of having an election right away, um, someone was appointed to fill his seat, which I still don't quite understand why that was in the best interest of the world. Someone was but, plucked from the audience of the city council yeah. and allowed to just like sit, sit in on. the chair. He is Bosch, as we discussed. He is a <laughs> former city council member who used to walk around his district strapped, like with a <laughs> with, with with a gun. Maybe that's why. I think that's yes. why he got appointed. <laughs> uh, so there, there's a lot of people running in this. There's a, like a, a decent sized field. Uh, we don't have to go over everyone. There's a lot of uh, assorted. Weirdos, as you always find <laughs> in something like this. Uh, but let's get it. Uh, uh, is anyone prepared to make an endorsement? Uh, yeah, I am, actually. So the the person that I have been uh, most interested in, and, and actually she picked up the endorsement of the LA Times uh, board this past week was Lorraine Lundquist. Um, so she is a, uh, a teacher, I believe, at Cal State Northridge, a scientist, and she's somebody who's been active in local politics, particularly um, in terms of uh, environmental regulations. She's been um, particularly active trying to get uh, the practice of 
fracking stopped uh, near Porter Ranch, moving DWP, which she was an advisor to for a while, off of um, uh, fossil fuels sooner rather than later. Um, and for a district that includes Porter Ranch, Granada Hills, uh, a bunch of really wealthy communities that has currently the only Republican in, in the city council, it seems like that would be a, a remarkable leap uh, for that district to take. I think she's perhaps even a flip, you might say. <laughs> and this, this is the one Republican district historically. Mitch Englander was the one, you know, the, you don't run as a party member and for the city council, but everybody knows. And Mitch Englander was the, the only Republican on the council. Uh, I think Lorraine Lundquist is great and she gets my endorsement as well. Something uh, that we've talked about a lot on the show. I know, Alyssa, this is something you've been keeping track of. CD12 is a district that under Mitch Englander, uh, we've talked about that everyone in is is tracking how many permanent supportive housing uh, units each district is uh, has, has approved to build. Each district agreed to approve 222 supportive housing units by I think June of 2020 some are way ahead of their goals I think CD 14 downtown is in the 600s or 800s CD 13 is there uh like some are CD 4 is in the 50s or 60s some are on pace but not quite there yet CD 12 has zero they have approved not a single unit uh, the mayor also is planning his bridge housing, his um, his a bridge home project where every every district is supposed to approve a shelter, bridge housing shelter. CD12 has not even found a site yep. for their bridge housing. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because uh, Emily Alpert Reyes at the Times, uh, who has been I mean, she's on the, the city hall beat. So she's been covering this race. Uh, she had an article not that long ago that was saying basically there are fewer uh, homeless individuals living in CD12 relative to almost every other district. Uh, however, this has been possibly the most discussed uh, issue in this race. And the inaction on building homeless services uh, versus like the very vocal outcry of residents about um, the the homelessness issue probably tells you a little bit something about the, the district that we are dealing with here, the mm -hmm. Northwest Valley. Uh, where there is a lot of, um, uh, is it fair to call it pearl clutching? I want to, <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of, uh, noise being made about like what can be done about homeless individuals in this district. And yet there's just nothing happening as far as actually doing the things that we know help. Uh, yeah, the, the, the LA times, uh, more on the, on the climate change aspect of her campaign, uh, talks they, they have a quote in their endorsement that says it's local elected officials who ultimately decide whether cities are walkable, bikeable, transit friendly communities, or whether they have the infrastructure to support the transition to zero emission vehicles. And Lundquist actually has pushed for expanding the bike network, like developing paths along flood control channels, uh, and like actually taking action in that regard that the council has for the most part abdicated, uh, for a hundred years. <laughs> Alyssa? I'm just going to say more women on the council would be good. <laughs> and I should say one of the, the former or one of the probably still front runners in this race, John Lee, uh, a Republican who was part of Mitchell Englander's staff who uh, secured the endorsements of two uh, of the sitting council people, uh, Monica, Monica Rodriguez and uh, Joe Buscaino, uh, has been under some scrutiny recently because it came to light that he, or it, I guess, resurfaced that he had been accused of sexual harassment within Englander's office. 
Uh, and that was another one of those cases where there was not really any action pursued legally, but uh, the city settled and basically made it go away. Mm-hmm. So let's also talk about the LAUSD District 5 election. That one is on Tuesday. We've talked about it a lot before. Uh, Jackie Goldberg, uh, former LAUSD board member, former city council member, dominated pretty hard in the in the primary uh and heather repenning who was public works commissioner uh barely beat out uh, graciela ortiz for the second spot in the in the runoff um like barely like it barely, was like I how many like 15 votes yeah it was like, like so few votes yes um Jackie Goldberg has the support of the teachers union. I have talked about my only personal encounter with her in the past where she showed up to a meeting about a supportive housing project on Sunset Boulevard and Echo Park that I was there in support of uh, talking about how the project was going to take away the use of a basketball court for a community center and therefore that she, uh, she was against it. And a playground. It should be noted that the reason you see these signs all over Echo Park uh, that say save our playground uh, are related to this fight against this supportive housing project when the playground that is there right now is not publicly accessible. Yes. So these people putting up these signs that are saying save, save our playground, don't use this playground that they claim they want to have saved. Yes. Scott, you endorse Jackie Goldberg in the primary. Are you, you're sticking with her? I am. Um, yes, I am. I think that, uh, as much as I am like both of you troubled by the, uh, support or I should say the opposition to homeless housing, which I think we need uh, everywhere. I think that the the opposition to the Echo Park homeless facility uh, has been ill-founded uh, at best. Um, that being said, given the job that she's uh, attempting to get elected for, I do think that Jackie Goldberg is the right person for the job. And if the union thinks that she will represent them, then I think that that's a pretty good sign. When I uh, supported Cynthia Gonzalez in the primary, I uh, I cited the fact that I wanted someone who supported the teachers union, who had experience in education, and I thought having a uh, person of Latin American heritage was good in what is like basically considered a Latino seat, right? Uh, and it's a heavily Latin American uh, district, super gerrymandered, basically yes. to be a. And uh, now we no longer have that option. We have two two white women. White women, yes. Uh, that's so that said, I think I, I, I think it's right to go with the candidate who is supported by the teachers union. I support in the runoff Jackie Goldberg. I also want to take this opportunity to say that I've, I've gotten, I was sent the planning documents, like basically the request for a study that comes out before the RFP for this supportive housing project. Cause I want to make sure I wasn't like misspeaking about it when I said that they are not going to get rid of this playground space and they're not. And all the, and all the requests for study, they are carving out, replacing the space for this. They were, they're replacing center. the space and would also actually make it publicly accessible, which is so funny. Like the part of the plan could be that, you would have more places for the public to play mm-hmm. um, in this area that needs a lot more places. Yes, because now so. it's walled, walled off and not used yes. for 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 most of. So the hopefully day. she's reading those same documents and uh, yes, will maybe have a change of heart. Yes, and I was discouraged by the fact that my one experience with her was her making what turned out to be false claims about a homeless housing project. I do think that she will 
reliably vote with the the union and i think it's a good transition uh for for the board uh and Alyssa, you've said in the past that you don't live in this district and so you're you're staying out of it yeah i really have nothing to say <laughs> but you guys have covered it but i do hope that she changes her mind about the, the housing project let's close with gun house gun house gun house we were i we, when we were in westwood i was scared to talk about gun house <laughs> <laughs> Because who knows how many more there are. Right. We were right. like... We were really close. We, we were, were like very a, close. Like a quarter mile. Plus, I mean, they're still finding these uh, properties that Beck and Signs own together. It's like, <laughs> they could That's have been right. there. <laughs> so everyone saw this story probably. There was a house in Holmby Hills in, I believe, the most expensive uh, zip code in Los Angeles yeah. uh, that was raided and in, in which they found like a million guns basically like you could round up to a million yes Yes. uh or i think it was actually like a thousand but (laughs) just seeing them all laid out in the driveway very dramatic footage uh because they were they were doing it basically for a full day they were carting guns out of this house so of course you had the news helicopters outside just getting this amazing footage yes (laughs) all the guns laid out so when this first broke uh i used the google maps satellite footage and the and the media reports to try and find the address of the house Uh i did find it i tried to look up who owned it I saw that the name, the owner was someone named Cynthia Beck and I Googled that and that turned out to be the name of this woman who was essentially Gordon Getty, the heir to the Getty fortune, one of the heirs to the Getty fortune, who is also a composer, his secret wife. Yeah. Or he, or not even secret at some point, he eventually opened up about the fact that he had a second family. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, God, could this be the same one? Am I about to break this huge story? And then I, I went online and everyone had already <laughs> figured this out. It was, happened. it was all over the place. Um, but so, but, but we don't know for sure if she, like they say that she wasn't living in the house, that someone might've just been squatting in it. What was the, what was the story with that? I mean, we don't know much more. I feel yeah. like, I mean, I only saw that it was the mayor's um, gun buyback event this weekend so i just thought someone was just cleaning out (laughs) and gonna get make a bunch of money like (laughs) condoing their assault rifles or something so what what we know so far we we don't know currently who is actually living at the house what we do know is that apparently uh cynthia beck and gerard signs who is the name of the man who is uh actually taken into custody by lapd and uh alcohol tobacco and firearms uh, agents uh, they apparently were in a relationship at some point and apparently own a, a number of properties jointly. Um, so it's, it's not clear who was actually living here. It appears that uh, Signs was actually doing business out of here. He's a, uh, registered to sell firearms, um, although was charged with illegally distributing, transporting, etc., uh, all of a thousand of these guns. Yeah. So, so there's something not above board. <laughs> um, and this was the same month that, uh, in the, the fancy part of Burbank, a huge drug lab was found in a mansion on, on Castleman lane. This was on, uh, May 2nd. Right. So these mansions, I want to, um, echo something that I saw uh, Jane who works with uh, K town for all at the glowing stars on Twitter said yeah. that all, with all the drug and gun activity in these mansions, they should require them to be pulled up from 9am to 6pm every, <laughs> <laughs> every day, just pull just shut them down for that. It's too dangerous to have these mansions just sitting on the street right. during the day That's when people fantastic. are just, or people are just walking around. 
Well, what better use for SB50 than carve these up into some nice fourplexes? Right. Let people. Yeah, then then you'd have to share. (laughs) Yeah, you'd have to at least keep it a little under control. That was LA Podcast. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Thank you for coming out to the show on Thursday. We are really going to try to put it out if we could salvage the audio file. It'll be out in some form or another for the people that uh, really, really want to hear this content, no matter how it is presented. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Yeah.